Yes, hello, and welcome to another episode of Bio2040, where we interview thought leaders in the field of biomedical research, open research, drug discovery, and to find the biggest bottlenecks and the biggest opportunities in advancing the field of science, the field of biomedical research, and ultimately finding cures for patients. And today I am uh, very excited to have uh, Lenny Tatelman on the show. Lenny is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Protocols.io, which allows researchers and uh, companies to share protocols uh, about processes uh, used in research on the web. And it's a little bit like a GitHub-style approach biology. So, Lenny, welcome uh, to Bio2040. Thank you so much, Flavio, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thanks for being here. So uh, I, I want to um, quickly start off and give people the context around uh, who you are. So would you mind uh, giving uh, a short introduction, uh, uh, a bit about your background, and a bit more about uh, your work at uh, Protocols at I.O.? So I'm a geneticist and computational biologist, both uh, computational and experimental lab work, uh, did PhD in Berkeley, and then started a postdoc, uh, postdoctoral research out at MIT that I thought would be like the fastest and most effective postdoc ever, really cool technique that I was using, collaboration with the Harvard lab, I thought six months now have amazing new data. And instead of that, um, I spent a year and a half on that cool new method uh, after learning it. Uh, discovering that one step of that technique was incorrect. So instead of a microliter of a particular chemical in a particular step, I needed five. Instead of 15 minutes of that chemical in the test tube, I needed to keep it there for an hour. And that experience, that year and a half to discover that modification of one step, um, is a little bit absurd because at the end of the day, it's not a new method. It's uh, a fix. It's a correction of something that's previously published. And that means that this is not a new paper, so I don't get any credit for this year and a half. And more importantly, everybody else who's doing the exact same thing is either getting completely misleading results or has to spend the exact same year or two rediscovering what I know, rediscovering what I would love to share, but just don't have the infrastructure, don't have a venue for doing so. So that led to... A mildly unhealthy obsession with creating a central place where we can easily, in an open access fashion, exactly as you said, kind of like GitHub for code, to have a uh, central place where research recipes in fine detail can be exchanged, kept up to date, communicated, shared, and discovered. Very cool. So, so you created a platform called Protocols at IO. And uh, tell us a little bit, uh, you know, who is, is using it, uh, maybe an example, and, and uh, how, what is then happening? So, so somebody creates this recipe, uh, what, what, what happens then? It gets published. Walk us uh, through, through the process of, of a scientist uh, working with protocols at I.O. and then how other scientists sort of collaborate with that. So a part of it, thank you. Thank you for the question. A part of it is... Um, a little bit like bioarchive preprint, but for methods specifically. So as researchers develop new techniques or optimize, right, or extend something that's previously published, this is a good place to quickly share this with the community. They might still publish it later, but this is a 
fast way to get the knowledge that typically sits in the notebook to get it out for other people to use, to get credit for it um, and have it be useful. So part part of uh, the flow is just early adopters. There are, you know, 11,000 researchers right now that have registered on Protocols.io. We're growing at about uh, five 600 new uh, people signing up uh, every month and creating protocols. So part of the public content that we get is just people wanting to share their knowledge. And the other part is... Uh, the, the other big part of the flow is journals that encourage scientists when they're submitting papers to put the detailed recipe on Protocols.io, get a DOI, a unique identifier, and link to it from the paper directly, sort of with words. You know, here's roughly the method that we used. And for details, please see the protocol on Protocols.io. Um, and that makes the research paper more reproducible. So that, 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 that's the use case. Got it. That, that is very cool. Uh, one thing I've discovered in, in you know, my research has been that we have a reproducibility crisis in, in the field. I mean, this is in many fields, but especially also in, in biology. I think it's also very big in, in, in psychology. I think there was a famous study that came out, I forget now, one or two years ago, where they took uh, 100 papers and tried to reproduce them, and they could only reproduce like 30 or 40, right? So... Uh, I see that uh, that uh, your efforts there are sort of absolutely necessary, and it's, it, I'm glad to hear also that you have uh, um, publishers um, uh, working with you because you know I, the publishing industry, as you know, it seems like it's 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 very controversial what's happening, right? You have the old school like Elsevier uh, that are still uh, have lots of non-open access uh, papers. There's a strong push from various stakeholders to to make it. More open access, it's it's happening, but it's happening slowly. Uh, and so um, I'm wondering, how did those collaborations come about and what kind of publishers are you are you seeing uh, uh, encouraging their uh, scientists that uh, work with them to, to work with you? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, the, I have so many thoughts on this. So before I answer the question about publishers, can I just push back a tiny bit <laughs> on the issue sure. of reproducibility, um, mm-hmm. particularly the word crisis. So I just, I came back last week. Um, I ran together with a nonprofit called AdGene and another startup, uh, which allows you to publish runnable code and is also partnering with publishers called CodeOcean, um, both organizations that I love. We ran a workshop on reproducibility at Caltech mm-hmm. together and I did the intro for the workshop. And actually I started it by saying that you know, there are many, many reasons that make reproducibility challenging. Um, I think I had a slide uh, at the beginning of the workshop with like 20 factors off the top of my head that make it hard to reproduce uh, other people's work. At the same time, what I was very clear on in the intro is I don't actually think that there is a crisis. I know that we have a lot of attention. We have the Amgen and Bayer papers that you mentioned that try to reproduce published work and cannot. However, no one has done that experiment 30 years ago. And when I talk to Ivan Aransky, who runs Retraction Watch, when I talk to a lot of people who think about this, I always ask the same question. Do we have any evidence that our reproducibility today is worse than it was 30 years ago? Mm. And one of my one of my uh, favorite people on this topic is Richard Harris, who is a science journalist for NPR, and he actually took 
two years off and uh, published a book on reproducibility called Rigor Mortis. Mm. And I talked to with Richard about this. We were on panels together. And what he says is we have new visibility and new attention to the difficulty of reproducing research, but it's not a new problem. It's a problem we've always had. So mm. I, um, without you know, short of evidence to say that we're doing worse or significantly worse than before. We might be doing the same or better. I don't know. Um, I I hesitate to use the word crisis. I just say we can do better. We have the internet. We have tools. We have technology. Um, It's not 300 years ago when we're publishing on paper, right, when journals really existed to facilitate communications before the internet. Um, I feel like publishers can do a lot more now, and this is why I'm so thrilled to be working with so many of them. Um, it's both open access and subscription publishers that see the value in uh, encouraging people to share on Protocols.io. So we are specifically open access and everything that's shared on Protocols is free to mm. and free to publish. But for example, the first journal that connected to us and added us to the author guidelines, uh, encouraging scientists to share on us instead of supplementary, that was from Genetic Society of America, GSA, that was the Journal of Genetics. It's a subscription journal. And then we had open access publisher GigaScience uh, integrate us into the workflow. And last year, this was a really big publisher for us, uh, Public Library of Science added us to all seven of their journals, including Plus One, which publishes a lot of papers. So that those were really the three first big um collaborations with publishers. And as you can see, they're both open access and subscription. And so that uh, PLOS added us in April of 2017, taking us from two to 10 journals that had us in author instructions. And since then, we've expanded to over 200 journals right now, and it's continuing to grow very, very rapidly. So what I would say on that is, of course, publishers can do a lot to improve, but for me going to publishing conferences, what I see is there's recognition of the challenges with reproducibility and there's a lot of desire from the editors, um, regardless of whether they are in PLOS or at Wiley or Elsevier, um, there's a lot of interest in improving the papers that are published, making them more reproducible, making sure that code is shared on GitHub or CodeOcean, making sure that Reagents are well specified, making sure that you don't have misidentified cell lines, making sure that the data is not contact author and will strip it to you, but is sitting in a repository with a DOI um, and is going to be easily accessible. And the same thing for methods. So I there's a lot there's a lot that's uh, to me encouraging over the last five years when we talk about reproducibility. That, that's I am I am so glad to hear that that the that, that, that people are, are watching that and, and that the, these collaborations are happening. That, that I think that's really really good news. Uh, I want to ask a little bit about the um, review process. Are you uh, is there any way that uh, you are taking some review, or is there uh, that when once a pro- protocol is published, uh, people try to use that protocol? Can they uh, comment on it and say, hey, I, I, yes, I successfully used this protocol and it works, or hey, I tried it and, and it didn't work? Does that happen online on your platform? Does that happen offline, scientists emailing each other? Uh, wh- how do we guarantee that, how do you guarantee that the, the quality of the protocols that you're, uh, that are on protocols that I use actually, is actually good and improving? That, that's uh, going right to the heart uh, of 
trust and one of the most important questions that people ask when I present protocols. Uh, we don't peer review the protocols. We check them for spam. We check for pseudoscience. Uh, we occasionally see people promoting uh, energy, biohealing, channeling universe energy and curing cancer um, that they try to sneak into Protocols.io. So we do check every protocol that's published and weed those out, but we don't run a lab. And, you know, if you're sharing protocols on pancreas versus viruses, uh, we can't go into the lab and verify that the technique you showed works. Mm -hmm. The technique that you shared works. So we are a platform similarly to Figshare, similarly to GitHub, where you share your details. Mm. We can't independently verify. The point of protocols is we are now sharing those details. And so other people can easily look them up instead of spending a year or two trying to figure out from papers what was done or contacting authors and saying, please, can you go through your lab notebook and pull out the details and send it to me? So we're mm-hmm. that easier. But ultimately, in the long term, even if you think of a peer-reviewed paper, um, a peer-reviewed paper does not... Uh, a peer-reviewed paper does not guarantee that uh, the method is correct, right? The reviewers do not go into the lab and reproduce the work that is submitted. They trust that it works. And they just Mm -hmm. look at the results, conclusions, are the statistics valid? Are you making the right claims? But at the end of the day, only time can tell. And it's other people reusing the technique. It's exactly as you said, commenting, saying it worked for me, we let people, uh, we see when people run protocols on their mobile devices. We have an iOS and an Android app. People can take the protocol into the lab as they're doing the experiment and click run. So as we see that people are running a particular protocol, mm-hmm. that's a strong signal that it works. If people are forking it, cloning it, and making modifications, bookmarking it, talking about it, um, those are signals, right? And mm-hmm. from my perspective, it's not so much even about peer review. Peer review can help to say this protocol has the details that are necessary for others to reproduce it. But at the end of the day, it's only time and other people following up on your work can show whether it's robust, can show whether it works only in your hands or in the hands of others, if it extends from grasshopper to cockroaches as well, or it's only something that works in this species of grasshopper. Time can tell, and that's exactly you asked about commenting, that's exactly why every protocol has interactive ask author a question, ask everyone who's using it a question, share your experience with the protocol. You can comment on individual steps. Mm. have beautiful examples where people will notice a typo. Mm. Something is unclear. They ask a question directly on the step saying, uh, you know, the time here says spin for two to, to two minutes. What does that mean? That goes to the author and the author next day replies saying, whoops, that should be two to three minutes. Thank you for noting that. Um, changing it right now and they create a new version. So it really is about equipping the people with a platform where they can get that knowledge out and then collecting the data on which protocols seem to work, um, not by asking people to stamp it with a you know seal of approval, but by gathering the data behind the scenes to see what looks like it's working. 
Very cool. So, so what I'm what I'm hearing, what I'm excited about here is this collaborative nature of somebody puts out something that they've that they've done in the lab, and then people will they can take that immediately and try to reproduce it, and they can either find maybe they find steps that didn't work, then they can go back and, and post that, and people can sort of crowdsource, come together, and say, hey, maybe try this other uh, method or try this, and then over time, the idea is that we build the, the best protocols for achieving various. Uh, tasks and, and the, 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 what I really love here is the, is the, is the decentralized nature of everybody being uh, you can be anywhere in the world and you can collaborate with someone uh, you know it could be uh, sitting in, in um, India working with a scientist at MIT uh, and, and, and together you guys come up with the, with the best protocol for uh, sequencing some something or something so so that seems that seems really exciting that's the part uh, that, that's the part that keeps me so energized and <laughs> about protocols and I see one of the benefits that I see is exactly as you said, this collaborative nature, these conversations, because before you publish and you'd get a question by email and you'd answer it. And then somebody else a month later mm. asks the same question and you answer it again by email. But here, what you have is the conversations happening directly on the protocol and you sort of are building a public FAQ and people can see what are the questions, what are the answers from the author. And so you're reducing redundancy you're saving time for the author and you're saving time for the people who are following up on the work yeah very cool uh, i want to touch on, on a subject that that um, that's been showing up in, in my research is you know around what drives scientists to publish and, and 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 or what drives their behavior right and when they publish and when they share data with others and when they don't and, and you know i had paul glassio on a couple of weeks ago and we talked about uh how his study where he says that 85% of biomedical research is, is being wasted. And, and you know, that one of the three major points he raised was, well, the studies, um, 50% of the studies released are incomplete, right? So sort of what you're addressing, the protocols of how to actually reproduce these steps are, are missing. And and so I, I am curious uh, from your point of view, um, you know, and scientists seem to care about uh, they have to publish, otherwise they perish, the so publisher perish. I think so that's one thing that drives people a lot and then that, that helps them get tenure and, and, and grants and so forth. So, so how uh, is, is, is there, have you seen something where protocols that IO um, doesn't only make them feel good, but also can it be maybe a way also for scientists to uh, get a bit, maybe a reputation or recognition in their field and can that somehow help them? How can we get more, I guess it also relates to how can we get more scientists to, to use it, right? You mentioned about 11,000. I think that's that's an amazing effort you've done. Yet, I think there's total about, I've heard this number of this afternoon, about 10 million scientists in the world. So we're still, a, we're still a long way to go. So how do we get the other, let's see, how do we get the next million scientists to, to use protocols that I owe? And what, 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 what role does sort of the incentivization uh, um, play in, in this field, in, in your view? Uh, that That's... That's like five really good questions. That I could, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, 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 one by one. that I could take the next several hours to answer. But um, quickly just going through a lot of these, um, through some of these. Again, one thing, you know, if you say 85% of science is wasted, what exactly does that mean? Um, science has always been messy. Science has always been hard to reproduce. Um, but think about what we got over the last 100 years from that messy hard to reproduce, imperfect process. We've gotten vaccines, polio vaccine. We know, we didn't know it years ago that smoking causes cancer. 
right? We did not have transplants. Like if you think about the progress of science, as messy as it is, it has been remarkable, right? So I would be very careful about saying, oh, we're wasting taxpayer money. It's not working. Most of the scientists, in my experience, the vast majority of, of them, despite the problems with incentives, despite impact factor chasing, despite publish or perish, they're in this because they're curious, they're in this because they want to make discoveries and they are collaborative and they do want to share. Very few are trying to keep the methods to themselves or the data to themselves um, nefariously so that others cannot repeat their work. Um, that's a small minority. It exists, but it's a minority. I feel like there are a lot of good incentives. The biggest problem we have is scientists are busy. They're very busy. Mm. And so everything, every extra step takes time. And that, I think, is one of the hard barriers. But what we're seeing already, uh, you're absolutely right that there are millions of scientists and we have a long way to go. But we've gone from... Uh, I could I could show you a graph of how many people have been sharing protocols on protocols IO. It's still early days, but when we launched four years ago, we'd have maybe five people a month uh, or six mm. people a month, and then we slowly grew yeah. to fifteen people a month in the next year on average sharing protocols. And that wasn't easy to get to because no one knows that you exist, and people are busy. Mm. They need to take time to come and learn a new platform and take the time to put the protocol in, right? Um, we're now at a point where there are hundreds of people every month creating protocols. Mm. Right? Mm. So it, the curve is really good. As we get more publishers, as more people learn that we exist, um, I am actually personally really happy with the adoption. And considering how many people know that we exist, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is it half full or half empty? Of course, I want more, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident that we can get to a million people people on the platform, um, not over the next hundred years, but accelerating, looking at our growth and extrapolating from where we are. I think a lot of the incentives are already there. This is what I see in the early adopters and the people that have been sharing. We have 20 ambassadors that are volunteering their time. They're students and postdocs across five continents who are on monthly calls with us, um, sharing how to improve the platform, advising us, uh, advocating for us and spreading the word. So there's a lot of excitement. People want science to be better, particularly junior researchers who are coming in. They're not jaded. Uh, They're not chasing grants. Um, So there's a lot of enthusiasm. And if you look, if you think about my own experience, the reason I'm in this is once you've spent several months uh, on a technique, mm. optimizing it, you want credit, you want other people to see it, you want people mm-hmm. to use it. And if, mm. if traditionally, if you're publishing a paper, but there's no place to put the protocol, for most scientists, if it's a new method, the reason you're publishing it is because you want other people to use it. You want to get credit for it. You want to be established in the field. And you want people citing your paper. If it's not reproducible, people are not using it. And so that's actually not good for your career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I think the biggest challenge for something, for a platform like ours is visibility, awareness, right? How do you mm-hmm. get the millions of scientists to know that this resource exists, that it's free for them mm-hmm. to use? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you get around the fact that it takes time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
to to actually submit the the protocol and and, and, and uh, all of these things you know being reproducible takes time um you have mm-hmm. to you have to educate people they have to know that down the road it actually saves them time right they don't have to answer the same question by email right they, the work is there they'll get more credit it right they will be able to look something up quicker and easier because they've already taken those yeah th- that makes a lot of sense i i guess uh you know we have an example right and then I'm assuming you were some, at least somewhat inspired by by what GitHub has been doing in the in the open source uh, uh, field. And uh, for people who aren't uh, from the coding or listeners that aren't uh, familiar with with uh, software engineering so much, GitHub is a platform where people uh, share code openly, uh, open source software, right? Uh, things like Bitcoin, uh, but also Linux or open source uh, protocols and softwares. And people are using GitHub very, very heavily in, in the software engineering world. And I, I see protocols uh, that I owe as sort of the the um, pawndon in the in, in the, uh, in the in the science and, and biology world. So uh, you know, they, there they have these uh, stars and forks. And uh, over time, uh, now it is you know, GitHub is so widespread now that you, as a software engineer, submitting to, you know applying for a job. You're often, if not always, now uh, required to to submit your GitHub profile along with it, and, and people sort of look at your code and how much you've contributed, and it really becomes sort of a resume, part of your resume, part of your business card almost. So, how far do you think we are away from? Do you think that could happen as well with, with people now? It's really like typically like papers where you've been published, but it would be really cool if I could apply and say, "Hey, I have uh, I created a." A protocol, protocols.io, that has been used, uh, I don't know, a thousand times or a hundred times, or these, these people created forks of it. And that would be a really cool uh, thing to put on my uh, on my resume when I apply somewhere. Say, hey, I have these these published protocols and protocols.io and they're getting used. Do you see Do you see this happening? How far away are we? Or, or what, what needs to happen so that this can become a, a reality? Yep. Uh, would be delighted to answer this. I do see this happening. Uh, we do have forking, which allows you to make a copy, clone the protocol, modify it, and then share how you're using it in your species, in your application, in yeah. your lab. Yeah. So, um, And it preserves the credit so you can see who's the original developer, what are the modifications that you've made. Um, so it gives credit to both people. Mm-hmm. And I write uh, cool. support letters yeah. for people applying for grants uh, where they're promising to NSF and NIH that they will be making all of their resources, all of their protocols open and public. I write support letters. So obviously uh, that's starting to happen. I see people tweeting their protocols saying, oh my God, 2,000 people have used my protocol over this year. That's pretty incredible. So yeah. that is happening. You have the forks, you have the... Um, conversations, you have people um, really getting credit for for this now um, through mm-hmm. papers or independently. And the other thing that I was going to say is, you know, if you are alive long enough, right, at some point, the equation switches from it takes me extra time to put a protocol in, it switches to most of the protocols that I need are already in the public repository. I just need to click fork, change mm. two, three steps, and now mm. instead of it costing me time, now it saves me time. And we've gotten, yes. you know, we've doubled from a thousand public protocols to two thousand just over the past year. It's growing really quickly. Um, we're mm-hmm. getting, you know, uh, uh, over a hundred public protocols every month 
uh, that mm. are three to four hundred private ones. And mm. so as that happens, right, you're transitioning from an empty park with mm. nothing from a desert to an oasis with trees. And uh, as as that evolves, as we get more and more protocols that people need and use, um, two years ago, there was zero traffic from Google to us because we didn't have content. Mm-hmm. In 2017, 200,000 people came to Protocols.io uh, looking at different research methods. So as that awareness grows, as more and more papers come out that are linking to Protocols.io, yeah. that's increasing awareness, it's increasing adoption, and it's putting content, content, it's putting these recipes in a central place that makes it discoverable and usable by everybody. And so over time, it switches from being a burden and from requiring you to put in an extra 30, 40 minutes to put in a protocol that you use before you publish to suddenly saving your time when with the click of a button, you can edit in 20 seconds somebody else's protocol to say that you're using 30 degrees instead of 35 in step seven and right. not. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I can see that. And that's that's uh, definitely cool. I, I, I'm assuming you have, well, you have also the same as you have in these content creation platforms. You have the creators and you have the consumers but maybe you need to first use it a, a couple of times and, and then say, hey, this is really cool. And then you, you sort of taste taste the, the flavor of it and you're like, oh, well, the next protocol that I develop, I, I will also publish it. And so you're building that trust with, with the scientists over time. It's, and it's, it's, you know, scientists are one of the hardest audiences um, <laughs> to market to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're highly educated. They're extremely busy. They're resistant to hype and marketing and gimmicks. Um, and it, and because, you know, the biggest thing is they're very busy. Uh, because of that, it just it takes time and you have to establish, you have to have partnerships, you have to get the journals on board, you have to get your early adopters, your ambassadors. There's a lot that you need to do. It's not just a matter of building a platform and build it, they will come. They won't come mm. and build it. You need to get the yeah. content. You need to make the user interface good. You need to save scientists time. Uh, rather than ask them to give you time, yeah. so that, yeah. that it's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky. You're doing it. The 200,000 people—that's that's an amazing uh, achievement. So, so congrats on that. And and I just wanted to. Well, I'm assuming uh, this will start happening as well. You know, I, I had uh, uh, a week ago. I had uh, Rachel Harding on from you know uh, Lab Scribbles. Uh, you, you might know her. Uh, she's been very publicly uh, kind of like having an open lab notebook and, and sharing things. And she was saying that how many uh, new collaborations it has brought her uh, by being so open. And so so I think uh, for scientists that share protocols, I'm assuming, uh, or this could be a, uh, also a way for them to, to get to just open their uh, research uh, collaborative network uh, to more and more people. And, and hopefully they can get more fruitful collaborations. Do you see that happening as well? Uh, we we do, and we're we're very gentle. So we allow people to create private protocols. Every protocol that you create at first is private by default. You can share mm. it by Google Docs with co-authors. So we have mm. this onboarding. Mm. But every protocol that's private has a big publish button, share with. <laughs> and you know, as I said, right now we're at about one third public. Uh, Two thirds of the new protocols created every month are private, but many of them over time transition into the public arena because people do want credit. They do want to share. They, they're they in this for the right reasons. So my my feeling is we've had amazing progress over the last century in terms of 
science works. Scientists yeah. do amazing things. You know, where will we be a hundred years from now, and where can we be if we make it a little bit faster? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's super exciting. I want to ask one more question about protocols that I owe. Business model. I, I saw that you are also allowing uh, companies now on, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, tell tell us a bit. How does that work? How, what is your? Uh, are you already making money, or, or how are you? How are you making money, or, or what other ways are you envisioning? Thank you. Um, as I said, it is open access. It's free to read, free to publish. Um, companies or academics, if you're sharing public protocols, that's public knowledge. We don't charge for that. Uh, but it's very similar to the GitHub, to the GitHub model, where if you're sharing openly, it's a public repository for your lab, for your group. Then it's free. Um, but if you want to, if you're a biotech and you want an internal group and you're not sharing openly, but you want to organize all of your protocols and make sure that when there's turn turnover, uh, the knowledge isn't lost, then in those in those circumstances, uh, just like GitHub, there is a per person fee. Um, so mm. we do charge for private groups. Mm. Um, and the other side, the other side, uh, and I do apologize, there's a little bit of background noise. There's some construction that just started conveniently. Sorry about that. Uh, and the other the other revenue stream uh, in the business model is we aggregate and anonymize analytics around the mm. of these research recipes of the protocols and the chemicals reagents inside them. Mm. So we have a sort of Google Analytics like subscription interface that we sell to reagent vendors. We don't disclose emails. We don't give them any. There's no lead generation. We don't tell them which scientist is using which of their chemicals. But they can do a lot of market research in terms of what are the new techniques that are taking off that they might want to consider creating kits for. They can look at their own uh, reagents that they sell right now and ask what are all the different public protocols that are using our company's reagents, right? So we, we sell analytics, and that's actually the bigger revenue right now than even the private groups. Oh, interesting. We still, we still have work to do in terms of getting to sustainability so uh, there are uh, very generous grants from the Moore Foundation Jen Zuckerberg Open Philanthropy Project mm. supporting us we have a little bit of investment money from angel investors so we're not at the sustainability point yet but the revenue is growing and so I'm confident that uh, we, we're going to be around for a long time yeah yeah I know it's, it's you're in a very important uh, uh, company so we'll, we'll uh I'm encouraging listeners here to, to check it out if you haven't already. Uh, whether you're in academia or uh, in a biotech, uh, there seems to be uh, plenty of uh, ways to use protocols that I own in a, in a very productive uh, manner. Uh, is there, um, I guess we're almost at the end now. So, so the last question, uh, Lenny, would be around uh, looking a bit into the future. Uh, what are... Uh, is there a technology or a research or, or a product out there or something that has you uh, gotten excited uh, recently, something that you, you, you are learning more about or would think that our listeners could really benefit from checking out as well? So I, uh, I'm a big fan of basic science. Uh, I'm a yeast geneticist. And starting from that point, all research excites me. Uh, good <laughs> results, new results whether they are in human or in C. elegans, um, I do get very excited. So I'm not going to pick a particular field topic or research question. I think it's all important. The more of it we're doing basic or applied, uh, the better. 
Mm. What I will say in terms of what excites me for the future the most right now in terms of where we can go with protocols, it's uh, seeing what's happening to devices, smart devices coming online. Uh, robots, uh, the same centrifuges, the equipment in the lab. And what I what I'm thinking is, our protocols are not PDFs; they're structured. We know the different steps. We allow you to run the protocol as you're doing the experiment. And what I what we've been thinking about from the beginning, and I think we're getting closer to the point where we can start working on this, is connecting the protocols directly to the equipment, to the devices that people use, to your pipettes, to your centrifuges. And then what happens is uh, if our protocols.io is talking to your centrifuge and you're supposed to spin your cells at 3,000 and your centrifuge is set at 10,000 RPM, Mm. we should be able to give you an alert saying, are you sure you want to proceed? This step says... Um, three thousand instead of ten thousand, you'll burst your cells. Interesting. So, so sort of a bridging the gap between uh, what's what's on your what's in the protocol and then directly connecting it with uh, yeah. So the, uh, lab the number mistakes, hey, it says ten microliters. Your pipette is set at twelve. Are you sure you want to proceed? Right, as mm. th- this is becoming possible. Mm. And that's that's not something immediate for the next month. But if we're talking about the future of protocols IO, it's not just more adoption. It's not just more content that, of course, we need and are working hard to get. But it's going to the next step, which is connecting the protocols directly to the machines, to the devices that are doing the work. Got it. Very cool. Awesome. Well, we're uh, we're excited here uh, that, about protocols at IO, about the future development, about more people adopting it. Uh, I want to end it here on this excitement for for uh, uh, lots of more uh, science happening and being shared. Uh, Lenny, thanks a, a ton for being on the show. Thank you, Flavia. This was a lot of fun and uh, a pleasure with uh, excellent questions from you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lenny. We'll we'll see you on the blogosphere and elsewhere. Bye-bye. Thank you.